It's March 8th. I'm Ezra Levant, and you're watching Battleground. Hi, everybody, and welcome to my weekly live chat super chat. It's a phrase that Google invented. It means a live chat where you can uh, have your comments highlighted in a bright color and appended to the top of the comment box by chipping in a few bucks. The good news is that YouTube actually gives us a portion of those funds to help pay our bills. Uh, I think today's news will focus on one subject only. It's our old friend Tommy Robinson. As you know, 2018 was a momentous year for Tommy. He started off the year as a rebel employee. Uh, we had hired him a year earlier, and he did amazing journalism for us, citizen journalism, very gritty. Um, but he left us, amicably enough, to go independent. I think it was February or March of 2018, and my stress level fell tremendously when I, <laughs> I was no longer his boss. Tommy's not built for a boss. Uh, it's like putting lightning in a bottle. It just doesn't, it's not lightning anymore. So uh, I got to enjoy Tommy's journalism for a couple months without having to fret about the legal and, or insurance or corporate details. What a pleasure. Until that awful day in May when Tommy was live streaming from outside a courthouse in Leeds where a massive rape gang was on trial, the Huddersfield rape gang. And you have to understand these British rape, rape gangs, they don't like wait in an alley and pounce on someone and rape her and then run away. They target young girls. They exploit them, they trick them and trap them, and like they say, well, I'll give you a candy, or I'll give you cigarettes, or I'll give you a drink, or I'll let you ride in my Mercedes, or would you like a grown-up boyfriend? And these are girls as young as 11, as young as 11. And they say, well, uh, I gave you um, a cigarette, will you send me a topless selfie, for example? And then they have that topless selfie and say, ah, well now you have to do this and this and this, or I'll show that topless selfie to your mom. You see, they trap these girls, and they get them hooked on drugs. So when I say a rape gang, I'm not saying they rape once. I'm saying they trap these girls, almost universally indigenous white British girls, and they rape them again and again and again. And these girls are trapped. Uh, in one case I read about, the rape gang threatened a girl if she stopped coming to their rape parties. These are all minor girls that they would burn down her parents' home. These women, these young girls were so trapped, as young as 11, uh, one of them burnt down her own house so that the family would move away. Another one literally jumped off her patio to crack her head on the sidewalk just to get herself in the hospital to avoid the nightly rapes by these rape games. You see, these were going on countlessly, endlessly. Every social worker, every doctor, every nurse, Every politician, every journalist knew about them, but because they were predominantly Pakistani Muslim rape gangs and the victims were indigenous white British girls, well, we can't talk about that because we have to focus on cohesion in the communities, and that might stir up Islamophobia if we actually talked about them. So, for example, in the case of Rotherham, UK, 1,400 girls were raped. And I say again, not just raped once, raped hundreds of times by dozens of men. It was one of these rape gangs that was on trial in Leeds last year, and Tommy was outside the court. He was the only reporter there. And he was talking outside the court about rape gangs in general, and he read off a list of the accused men, all of whom were convicted, by the way, um, 
He read it from the BBC's website. The BBC is the state broadcaster of the United Kingdom. So he was not saying anything that was confidential. In fact, he was quoting from the state broadcaster itself. And for that offense, I don't even know how that's an offense. He was swept up by a gang of police. I think there's seven. Here, watch the video as he was, in fact, live streaming himself. Take a look. You've all watched this. You've all watched this. Can you get me a solicitor? Can you get me a solicitor? Can you get me a solicitor? Yeah? Do you understand what I've just done? Can you explain it again? This is free speech. This is this is where we're at. You're not even allowed to. Look at this. Look how many people. What are you trying to hide? Do you know when you do this? More but it was a false arrest you heard them say he was arrested for breach of the peace he in fact was not breaching the peace i watched part of that live stream by coincidence i was watching it on facebook as were quite a few others um he was standing by himself talking into his cell phone for 75 minutes he was talking in a regular voice there was no one he was inciting or breaching he was a man standing on the sidewalk talking into his phone. <laughs> there was no peace that was breached. There was no incitement. He was talking politics. He was rambling, frankly, a little bit to kill 75 minutes of time. Even someone as loquacious as Tommy was engaging in some filler. Uh, he had some interesting conversations with people on the street, all of it was polite. He certainly didn't breach the peace. And in fact, as we later learned, he was not charged with breach of the peace or, or incitement. He was held in contempt of court. And as I only learned later when I finally saw Tommy later in the summer, see, that was the last time he was seen in public in May. As you know, as we all know now, he was taken to the police department and then he was brought before the judge of that rape gang trial who summarily sentenced Tommy to 13 months in prison. And I say summarily because the hearing was less than 10 minutes long. Tommy himself did not utter a single word. I mentioned it was 10 minutes long because you will obviously intuit that it was therefore impossible for the judge to watch Tommy's 75-minute broadcast to comment on it. He didn't even inspect it. And I've become a bit of an amateur expert in British contempt of court law. I was familiar with it somewhat because Tommy was charged uh, the year previous when he was working with it. He was charged in Canterbury. So we got Tommy out of the soup back then, and we, we studied the law with Tommy. We actually had a whole session at a prominent law firm in, in London called Kingsley Napoli. Tommy and his team, we all went to, I went to London, and we sat in Kingsley Napoli's boardroom, 
And it was like, uh, the comparison I have is like a race car when the pit crew, when it comes into the pit, and the pit crew comes in, they change the tires, they fill up the gas, they wipe the windshield. That's what it was like. We had this boardroom, and Tommy was the center of it, and I was there, and we had, there was probably about six of us there, and we brought in lawyer after lawyer to give Tommy a briefing. Okay, here's contempt of court law, here's defamation law, here's privacy law, here's various aspects of media law. It was a hell of a session, and I felt so good about it because Tommy was so completely engaged because this was not some abstract, abstract law school lecture. Every single thing we were talking about was something that Tommy had either contemplated or had happened to him or was thinking about or it was, he was engaged, he was interacting with the lawyers. It was actually probably the most intensive 90 minutes, I think it was 90 minutes. Uh, it, was, it was an amazing day and even, so that was what we did after the Canterbury contempt arrest. So, like I say, February, March, Tommy left us, but he still had those lessons that he learned from that law firm, Kingsley Napoli. And then when he was arrested in May, I was watching him. I was thinking, well, he's being careful. He's not standing on the courtroom property. That's one rule. He kept saying alleged suspect, alleged rapists or suspected rapists or accused rapists. He never spoke of them as if they had been convicted already. He did not identify or show any jurors, for example. So I was watching this here in Toronto on my phone while it was happening in Leeds. And I was thinking, oh, Tommy, remember, remember our training, is what I was thinking. I said, oh my God, you're, you're going close to the wire, but he never crossed it. So when he was arrested, and you heard what they said, incitement, but he was not charged with that. He was, he was held in contempt, but it wasn't even a hearing. I know a little bit about the law of contempt because of the experiences I've just described. And one of the requirements of contempt is that the contemner, that's the fancy word of saying someone held in contempt, has to be getting a, given a written list of what he said or did that was wrong. You can't just say, oh, you're in contempt. Well, what? What are the particulars? Can you particularize them? Now, when he got in trouble in Canterbury, he got the particulars, and there was sort of a couple weeks of where the judge cooled off, and we sent in some top lawyers. That did not happen in Leeds. The judge never gave him his bill of, you know, here's what you did wrong. The judge was hot under the collar, wanted to deal with it before lunch, and did indeed. Tommy's own lawyer was not allowed to be present. Tommy was given some public defender who, A, did not know Tommy or his background. B, was not an expert in contempt of court law. I can assure you it is a very rare and obscure species of law. And I'm not even criticizing the public defender who did, I'm sure, the best that he could, but not good enough, obviously. How can a public defender who's used to, you know, a, an assault on the street or a drunken disorderly charge. How can someone like that handle the technical matter of contempt of court? It was a stitch up. And Tommy was sent to prison for 13 months? 13 months? I've seen rapists sentenced to less time than that. In fact, of the rapists on trial in Huddersfield, I'd have to check, but I'm quite sure some of the actual serial gang rapists were out a prison, will be out of prison in less time than 13 months. Now this is a recap, you know all this because we've talked about it so much. And so, you saw Tommy turn to the camera 
in that arrest video and say, get me a solicitor. I saw that here in Toronto. And had Tommy been working for me still, well, I wouldn't have needed him to say that. I would have had a solicitor on the phone immediately. And as Tommy's employer, I would have had the authority to make decisions because, of course, he, was, he would have been arrested in the course of his employment. When Tommy was arrested the year earlier in Canterbury in a SWAT team style 4.30 a.m. Uh, raid on his house for shock and awe to upset the family, I actually was up. So just to remind you, can we dig up that video of Tommy being arrested at 4.30 a.m.? So 4.30 a.m. in Luton is 11.30 p.m. here in Toronto. And I was still up at 11.30. I mean, uh, I don't know what time I go to bed. Sometimes I go to bed earlier than that. So I was up. And the police raided his house at 4.30 in the morning, and I heard about it at 11.30 p.m., so I just stayed up all night. And within two hours, our lawyers in the UK were up. They were up at 6.30. And they started work at 6.30 in the morning. That's, those are good lawyers. And they called. The first thing we had to do was find out where Tommy was. Let me know when we got that 4.30 a.m. video. So I didn't need to wait. I didn't need to check with Tommy. I didn't need to check with Tommy's wife. <clears throat> I didn't need to wait for instructions. I am the instructor. Here, let me show you that, that raid at 4.30 a.m. This is in Canterbury the year pre previous. Take a look at this. See the video off. Four o'clock in the morning, my house was dawn raided. I was, dragged from, I was dragged out of my house in front of my wife and children. I was taken automatically to this court on a charge of contempt of court. You saw enough of the, the handheld camera. He had this good enough thing, Justin. <clears throat> so I hear about this. I see this. So I, I get our lawyers on the phone. And the email, and they're working. So it's, uh, it's now 6.30 a.m. in London, which is 1.30 a.m. in Toronto. But we're working. We're setting up a, a website, Save Tommy. I'm instructing the lawyers. The first thing the lawyers do, we got, we got three lawyers working on it. You know what the first thing we do? Where's Tommy? Where did he go physically? Where is the lad? So they started calling every jail and every cop shop in the UK. Is that, is that something? We have to physically find him. Where is he? Who took him where? What's his status? We finally tracked him down. He had been taken up to Canterbury. And we marshaled our lawyers. I think we had three, including an expert on contempt of court. And we sent him up there to Canterbury. So we worked nonstop. And we got him back home that night at 5.30. So from arrest to freedom, we worked it. 13 hours we got him out. We got him home that night. His family was pleased. And then our lawyers had two weeks to carefully prepare a defense to contempt of court. And just as important, the angry judge in Canterbury who had sent the police to Tommy's house at 4 a.m. Frankly, that was probably a decision made by the local cops. She had time to cool off a bit. So by the time the substantive hearing came two weeks later in Canterbury, she let Tommy off with a suspended sentence. So that was, and I remember talking to Tommy when he got out. He says, oi, Ez. He didn't say, oi, I added the oi. He said, Ez, it was on a knife's edge, bro. That's what he said. It's true. 
But you know, the knife's edge tipped to Tommy's freedom, their favor, and he got out. So that was Canterbury, 2017. So now we're in Leeds, 2018. And I see him look at the camera and say, George, get me a solicitor. Well, the thing is, I can't act anymore. Because I'm not the boss. It's not for me, I'm not the client. I got on the phone anyways. I talked to his lawyer, Allison Gurdon. I said, well, we got this old team at Kingsley Napoli. They're pretty top-notch top guys. They already know Tommy. They already know the law. They know his history. They know the Canterbury case. They're ready to go. Let's do it. And I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty, but it took us a month. It took us. It took me. It took me a month to get them to decide to appeal. I'm not going to get into the details, but there was a month wasted. Anyways, as you know, the story gets better. We did, in fact, hire excellent legal counsel, John Carson. Put up John Carson's picture. Carson K is the name of the law firm. Carson, K-A-Y-E. So it took us a month because I couldn't act like that because I'm not the boss anymore. I was a busybody, right? I was a meddler. You can't just have any meddler from around the world making decisions. It just doesn't work that way. So it took me a month before I could help. Carson K. actually presented themselves to Tommy. I did not find them, just to be crystal clear on that. But I had the approval of Tommy's family to crowdfund. Finally, finally, there he is, John Carson. He's even handsomer in person. You know what? I love John Carson. I'm just joking around. Um, I love him because he helped get Tommy out. And uh, so we crowdfunded Tommy's defense. And by the way, I should tell you that in the 10 weeks Tommy was in prison, I never spoke to him once. He had, what, two phone calls a week. He's not going to waste that on me. He would talk to his lawyer. He would talk to his wife. And he had a, a very few visits. And I'm not going to take up a visit to say, hey, Tommy. You know, his visits can be with his lawyer his wife. I was able, however, to send him emails. And you recall this. And Tommy couldn't email back, but he would talk to his wife, and his wife would back chat on the information to me. So I would send an email to Tommy through prisoner. There's a prison email system that was excellent, actually. Uh, it would cost like a, a dollar to send an email. That's no problem. It's the cost of a stamp. And I would be careful because I knew that the prison was reading my emails to him. So I, I didn't give anything, like I, I was careful because I assumed every email was being read by the warden. Um, but Tommy would give instructions back through his wife. So I knew I was on the right track and I joked later with Tommy. I said, Tommy, that's the best communications you and I have ever had. Uh, you actually read all my emails for the first time, I joked. And I didn't have to put up with any of your talk back. It was a bit of a joke. but. Obviously, it's a, it was a terrible time. So we crowdfunded him. By we, I mean you. We crowdfunded him. We crowdfunded Tommy's legal defense. We went before the Court of Appeal. And I should tell you, it was taken most seriously by them. They put the Lord Chief Justice of England and Wales himself. Throw up a picture of him if you got it. So they didn't just put some junior judge. They literally put the top judge in England and Wales on the case and with two other judges. And they were most grave, as you would want them to be. Now, they deliberated too long for my taste. It took them a couple of weeks to think it over. 
But if my memory serves, it was August 1st that he was freed. Is that right? August 1st? And um, we were there to cover it. And can we get the footage of Tommy coming out? Either footage of me with him or footage of... I just want to show Tommy when he was out. Again, I had not seen him. There's the judge. That's the Lord Chief Justice. They got the wigs over there. Um, you can find that ruling online. Go to judiciary.gov and then just type in Stephen Yaxley Lennon. That's Tommy's legal name. You can read it. And can, you, can I recommend you do so? There's two versions of the ruling. First is the lengthy one. It's pretty long, and there's some legalese in it. But I didn't know, yeah, that's, that's it right there. Um, yeah, you can see it's dated August 1st, I remember correctly. The Right Honorable, the Lord Burnett of Malden, Lord Chief Justice of England and Wales, and the Honorable Mr. Justice Turner, and the Honorable Mrs. Justice McGowan, in regards to Stephen Yaxley Lennon, a.k.a. Tommy Robinson, appellants. Scroll down a little bit. Jeremy Dean, QC, and Terry Ann Rowan, instructed by Carson K. Solicitors for the applicant. So in the UK, they break it down. They have barristers and solicitors are different. So John Carson was with solicitors. And so there were four lawyers for Tommy there. We crowdfunded. And you can see Lewis Mabley was sort of a quote, an expert for the court. So this was the judgment. They had a full judgment. Scroll down just a little bit more if you got it. If not, don't worry about it. Yeah. So, so you could, it, it's quite a lengthy ruling written by Lord Burnett himself. And it refers to Canterbury. It, refer, it is a very detailed case. Uh, if you have the appetite, I recommend you read it. And if you, if you think that's too daunting, the court actually published a summary of it, which I've, I haven't seen that in Canada uh, before. I don't know if they do that in the States. It's very handy. So you can find that very easily. Go to judiciary.uk. Sorry, I might have said .gov. It's .uk. You'll find it in a second. Um, it was a scorching ruling. Not scorching for Tommy. Scorching of the judge in Leeds who in a drumhead trial, a five-minute trial, yeah, there you go. So you just, you, I mean, how long did that take you to find? Like 10 seconds, five seconds. You just type in judiciary.uk and then just Yaxley Lennon. You can see they've got the summary. Click on the summary there. Let's show people how easy it is to read. So this is what the website looks like. And yeah, so what's that, like six pages, if I recall? It's pretty quick. It's a pretty quick read if memory serves. So you don't have to read the very lengthy thing. Yeah, what's that, three pages? Three pages. Everyone, anyone can read that. So it's worth reading. And the reason I tell you to read it, why am I telling you to read it? Why am I assigning you homework? Is because I can guarantee you, you have not heard about the contents of that. Perhaps the most momentous case of 2018 Certainly the most momentous contempt of court case in 70 years. I guarantee you have not heard its contents because none of the mainstream media who were there with me at the Royal Courts of Justice, none of them reported about the substance of that ruling. Can you find my appearance on BBC? Any of them. I did about three BBC hits that next day. I don't know if you're going to have any luck. Some of them were awful. Let me know if you find one. So I was there and... Um, 
I was in the court and I saw all these uh, jackals of the mainstream media. They're jackals. And they saw what I saw and they heard what I heard. And, and frankly, they probably understood some of it better than me. I mean, I'm, I, I'm trained as a lawyer, I have a law degree, I don't practice anymore. But these are Brits, so they understand the British system because there's some differences. So frankly, there's professional full-time reporters from the UK who are probably more familiar with British quirks of the law than I am as a Canadian. So they would have at least as understood as well as I have. I mean, maybe the fact that I have a law degree would have helped me understand, okay. But not one of them reported the substance of that ruling. Okay, hold with the BBC. Let me just finish this thought, and then I'll call for the BBC clip. And what's my point? This was, the, instead of writing about how Lord Burnett there, that guy with the fancy wig, the Lord Chief Justice of England and Wales, just the most important judge in the UK, only that, heading a three-person panel, three-judge panel, unanimous. So this was not a split decision. There was not a dissenting minority opinion here. So you've got Lord Chief Justice Burnett, Chief Justice of the United Kingdom, or England and Wales, concurred by two judges, saying not only ought Tommy Robinson to be immediately freed from prison, but then detailing the litany of procedural abuses that were just plain wrong. I'm not going to use the word stitch up. I'm going to say falsely imprisoned. I'm going to say improper, improper arrest, improper prosecution, improper conviction, improper sentencing, improper incarceration. There was nothing about Tommy's case that was proper. Nothing. Did we show the image of him leaving? Did we show that yet? Look how thin he was when he got it. Show that when he got it. I didn't, even, I didn't even mention. They put him in a, a small cage for 23 and a half hours a day. Look how thin he was. Look at that. Look at those sunken eyes. Look at those sunken eyes. Oh, is that the audio? Okay, we'll listen to that in a second. Um, I saw Tommy, like he, he got out of prison, and you're going to laugh at me. You know what the first thing he did? He got a haircut. I thought that was funny. It's, it's so important. He got a haircut. I, I don't know. Yeah, there we go. He got a haircut between him. <laughs> anyway, I saw him. I was shocked. Look at that guy. Look at, look at his face. Look at his, how thin his face is. He was shell-shocked. Look at that. When I knew Tommy before, he was muscly. Look at that guy. He lost, as they say in the UK, three stone. For non-Brits, that means 40 pounds. He lost 40 pounds in 10 weeks. And, and he's trying to be himself there. He's trying to be sort of normal. I felt like a guy who was, well, he was shell-shocked. He had PTSD of sorts. And, and he was so messed up there. He had just come from court, got a haircut, a shower, put on his own clothes. And look at his face, look at his mouth. Look at his eyes. Look at his eyes. And I was happy to see him, and I'm trying to be positive, but I got to tell you, all I could think of was, what the hell did they do to you? What the hell did they do to you? This was the first time I had talked to him, let alone seen him. I hadn't, see, I hadn't seen him since, well, the March of that year when we, when we let him go at the Rebel. 
and I, you know, chat, chat with him a little bit by text. I had ever, actually, that was the first time I actually interacted with Tommy. Really, since, since we let him go in March or whatever. If he had been an ISIS or a Taliban or an Al-Qaeda terrorist who had been incarcerated in the UK or in the United States in such conditions, conditions that he lost 40 pounds weight in 10 weeks, solitary confinement 23 and a half hours a day, death threats in prison, he would have received a, an apology from Theresa May and probably a cash compensation. Instead, and it's only taken me 28 minutes to get to the news of the day, I'll come back to that clip later. Instead, yesterday the Attorney General of the United Kingdom advised Tommy that they will indeed prosecute him a second time for those same offenses up in Leeds. So let me explain what that means. When the Court of Appeal and Lord Burnett freed Tommy from prison on August 1st, they did not dispose of the matter permanently. They said it was so improper, we quash, that's the word they use, we quash the finding of contempt, and we send it back to the judge to do properly. Well, why did they do that? So let me not overly praise the Lord Chief Justice. Why did they send it back for a do-over? Man just spent 10 weeks in prison. Technical definition met of torture. 23 and a half hours a day in a box. You don't put someone in solitary for more than two weeks. A, a day in solitary is like a week or a month outside. You go mad. Tommy told me that the one thing that kept him sane was all the emails he was getting. So why would they do it again? What, 10 weeks in solitary wasn't enough punishment? You want to put him through it again? You want to you make him incur six figures in legal costs again? Yeah, you're damn straight. So you might recall that we went back to a hearing now at a different court, the Old Bailey. And now the top criminal judge in all of London, who has the fancy title of the Recorder of London, very, very senior man, Nicholas Hilliard is his real name. Feel free to grab a picture of Nicholas Hilliard, the Recorder of London. Again, great, great wigs these guys have. Big wigs. He's a big wig, as we say. So uh, you might recall we returned to the United Kingdom for Tommy's trial at the Old Bailey where they were going to rehear it. But Tommy gave the Recorder of London his witness statement. And the judge, the Recorder of London, most senior criminal judge now. We were talking earlier about the, most senior, about the Lord Chief Justice of the Court of Appeal. Now we're talking about Nicholas Hilliard. Feel free to th throw up an image of him um, at the Old Bailey, which is the most serious criminal court of London. It's, they actually have a dungeon underground there. This is, the, the Old Bailey is where they try, there we are, there we go, look at that. Now that's a big wig. Would you agree with me? That is a big wig. I can't help but look at that and think those look like puppy ears, frankly. But uh, don't think that, because this man uh, is as grave as a heart attack. But Tommy said to this man, the recorder of London, Nicholas Hilliard, QC, Tommy said, my lord, I got a lot of things I want to say and do, and uh, I got a lot of things I want to testify. And Hilliard, the recorder, said, okay, I'm not going to hear this because 
there's, I won't get into the technical legal reasons why it was appropriate for the recorder to say, I will give this now back to the Attorney General, and if they choose to prosecute, they will, but I will not hear it. Mr. Lennon, as they call Tommy Robinson, you are free to go. You no longer have any bail conditions. You're done here. Now get out of my court. Actually, it, was, it didn't end that way. So Tommy was free, but the recorder of London, Nicholas Hilliard QC, the big wig, gave it back to Theresa May's attorney general. Put up Jeffrey Cox, the attorney general. Can you believe it? I met Jeffrey Cox the day he was being sworn in. You're not going to believe this coincidence. But the day of Tommy's first hearing at the Court of Appeal, in the same day, in the same court, in the same room, the new Attorney General of the United Kingdom was being sworn in. I, I couldn't believe the coincidence. I show up an hour early for Tommy's trial. Who's there? Jeffrey Cox. The, the attorney, there he is, who was sworn in that hour as Attorney General. So I'm in the courtroom early because I want to get a good seat. And who's there but all his family? Because this is a big deal to be sworn in as the Attorney General. You know what Attorney General means? Look at the words. It means you're basically the big boss lawyer for the government. You're in charge of all the other lawyers. You run the Justice Department. You run the prosecution. You are effectively the boss of the biggest law firm in the United Kingdom, right? I, I see there's some super chats coming in, but will you permit me to go on with my stories? I will read them, but will you I, and I promise you that. But will you permit me to make, my, make some more news or, or to, to re recount some of these facts, okay? I, I appreciate the Super Chats, thank you. And as you know, normally on Fridays, I really, I really read them. But l let me say my piece and I'll come back to them, okay? Justin, at 12.50, make sure I come back to those Super Chats. So folks, let me go for another 15 minutes and then I'll come back and I'll read your Super Chats. So um, I see Cox, J Jeffrey Cox, and it's, his fam it's a family thing. Being sworn in, it's like a, it, it's a, it's a public ceremony, but really it was his friends and family there. And I was there, and I was very well behaved. But he leaves, uh, he's walking out of the court. I, I go and I say hello. I shake his hand. I say congratulations. And then I ask him a question right there in the court. Now, my camera's not running. You don't bring a camera right in the court there. But I ask him a question. I ask him, what do you say about Tommy Robinson and his appeal? Do you think it's appropriate the government's, I, I can't remember exact wording, but I asked him about Tommy's case. I'm sorry, I can't remember what I said. I'll have to look at my notes. I think I did a video on it. And he said to me, he answered me, he said, I've been so busy reading my files, preparing to be the Attorney General, I just haven't had a chance to be briefed. Now, I don't know if I believe that, but it's a credible answer. You're about to be sworn in as the nation's top lawyer. You're probably doing a lot of homework. You're probably a little bit panicked. You're probably reading 100 files, half of which are probably confidential, half of which would make your hair stand up like a porcupine. And the kind of cases, terrorism, corruption. So this is a man with a lot of things on his plate. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say he had not, in fact, been briefed on Tommy. You can't say that now. And in, in fact, where the bigwig Nicholas Hilliard, QC, the recorder of London, 
kicked the case back over to the Attorney General. At the Old Bailey, he said, Mr. Lennon, you're free to go. There are no more bail conditions on you. You're at liberty. It's now in the hands of the Attorney General. That was in, I'm trying to remember my dates. That might have been October 3rd. Trying to remember my dates. I went over there five, six times last year. So I remember having lunch with Tommy right there near the Thames. We just grabbed some food on the street. And uh, he felt free. He said, you know, I'm free now. This isn't hanging over my head anymore. And we both agreed that it would be nuts for the Attorney General to start again. I mean, first of all, remember Tommy just had a huge demo. Can we get, can we get, can we get the demo? I think it was October 3. I can't remember my dates. Maybe it was September. No, no, not the Brexit demo. The big Tommy Old Bailey demo. And um, so not only did Tommy win at the Court of Appeal, and not only did Tommy win at the Old Bailey when Nicholas Hilliard, the recorder, said, I'm not going to hear this case. It's not appropriate for me to hear it. You're free to go, Mr. Lennon, unless the Attorney General says otherwise. So Tommy's feeling like a million bucks. And there was a huge demo that day. Let me know when we get it. I don't care what you show. You can even show people singing an Ezra song. That was a very fun moment for me when I got up there and uh, I can't even remember what happened, but it was very fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, so remember that? Do we have any... Uh, yeah, look at this. Look at this. Look at how big the demo is. Look, look, look. Look at that. 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 Can I ask you a question? When was the last time thousands and thousands of people waited for hours outside the court like that? Has it ever happened? And they were singing the song. You could see they were singing the song there, written by Owen Benjamin. How they rule you to the tune of Hallelujah. They got all sorts of flags. I see the, the Union flag. I see the American flag. I saw the Gadsden flag that don't tread on me. Now, this is, uh, this is a little video we made. There's obviously a mashup with, okay, we can take the video down. My point is, so Tommy had won in the Court of Appeal, right? Then he had won at the Old Bailey when the Recorder of London, Nicholas Hilliard QC, the bigwig, says, I'm not taking this. You're free to go. If the Attorney General wants a PCA, he can have at you. See you later. All right. And then look at that rally outside. Holy moly. I can't remember how many people were there, but you saw with your own eyes. Thousands. And they had been waiting all day. I remember getting to court that day. I got there really early. And it was already packed. It was packed at like 8 a.m. And I think that that moment there was probably around like 1 p.m. Pretty amazing. So I, I, I'm trying to remember how the day went. I, maybe I'm mixing up my days. But I remember sitting down with Tommy and we were just grabbing a bite right next to the Thames. We just found some little place. We got just a, a bite. And for the first time in six months, he looked relaxed. Because even though he was out and he was getting a little bit better, he, he had some sleep and some food and normalcy, the stress of this hanging over him was, you can, it was manifest and you could see it in him. And I think for the first time he exhaled, ah. <sighs> Because you know what he told me? He was worried that he, would, he didn't want to be in prison over Christmas. That was his big worry. 
He said, if they come at me again, I don't want to, it was very important to him to be with his family over Christmas. So um, he felt relief. And I thought, well, you just had the Court of Appeal absolutely demolish how they treated Tommy. It really proved everything he's ever said about the establishment being against him, the stitch up. I recommend his book, his autobiography, um, Enemy of the State. I finally sat down and read that thing. It's a great story. It's very, very funny also. It's very sad also. There's some very sad moments in it. Um, the theme is, he's the enemy of the state. It's all a stitch up to get him. And he's a lot of proof in that book. Sometimes people say, oh, come on, Tommy, stop being so paranoid. Stop your conspiracy theories. Well, really? You go to judiciary.uk, type in Stephen Yaxley Lennon. You read what the Court of Appeals said. Are they part of the conspiracy theory? Because they said there was a conspiracy. Now, they didn't use that word. They just listed how every element of the state conspired to improperly put Tommy in prison. Of course, they didn't use the word conspiracy. They're fancy judges. Uh, they just said words like improper. And they freed Tommy from prison. It was so improper. And so my point is, so there I am with Tommy. He's exhaling for the first time. He's relaxed for the first time. He knows he's not going to be in prison over Christmas. And I think, come on now. Is the Attorney General, is Theresa May, because remember, Attorney General's a member of cabinet. Pretty sure that's how it works. Well, we know it's a political appointee. Answers to the Prime Minister. To prosecute Tommy Robinson would be a cabinet-level decision. Absolutely. And they made it. They made that decision. They decided to go for him. Can we play, can we, you grab Tommy's announcement from yesterday? Can we, I don't want to play the whole thing, we don't have time. Can you play like the first 60 seconds of it? Let me know when you have it. Okay. So Theresa May instructed Jeffrey Cox to proceed with the prosecution. Remember, the, the judge of the Old Bailey said, I'm not doing this. If there's a political decision to do it, they can do it. I'm not doing this. The bigwig. So Jeffrey Cox, obviously he's had his briefing on Tommy now. And he's decided to prosecute. Here, take a quick look. I'll only play about a minute of this. Hey, I've been recharged. The Attorney General, not the police, the government are prosecuting me. I will face prison again for the original contempt charge, which I was freed from prison for. The same charge at five months ago, the highest judge at the Old Bailey refused to hear. Five months later. Why five months later? What's taken five months? I'm now being re Well, it's obvious what's taken five months. In my view, Tommy's bigger than ever by many measures. He had a big Brexit demo. I wasn't there for that one. Then he had his big takedown of the BBC called Pano Drama. I went to that one in Manchester. Tommy's bigger than ever. Now, Facebook just shut him down. His last medium is YouTube. I got to tell you, I don't know how long they're going to let him up there. I think they're going to censor him. So it's the final move. They're making the final move on Tommy before Brexit. Maybe it's not related to Brexit. Maybe they just want to shut him up. Maybe they think if they do it around Brexit, there'll be other I don't know. But it's insane and absurd. In America, my American friends would say, well, what about double jeopardy? The guy's already, you know, you threw it out once. You don't get to keep shooting till you hit. So I talked to Tommy today. I talked to Tommy yesterday. I talked to Tommy's lawyer today. Obviously, some of the things we talked about are not mine to disclose, and I'll let Tommy 
and his lawyers disclose them when the time is relevant. It goes without saying that Tommy's going to fight like hell. You know that. I described to you how I participated in Tommy's legal defense first in Canterbury when he had that uh, 4 a.m. raid, and then how I, after a month worth of trying, uh, helped in Leeds. We crowdfunded his legal defense. Tommy's obviously at liberty now, so he is handling his own crowdfunding, and I encourage you to support his legal defense through Tommy. But I, uh, I know I have one role that I continue to play with Tommy's um, request, I suppose. Uh, he asked me to come to Manchester. One of the ideas we cooked up, like I say, I was listening to these BBC reporters, these Sky News reporters, these, these Guardian, these Independent, these, oh, these awful reporters, and I thought, I've never seen a media so biased in my life. I mean, my American friends say, oh, CNN's bad. CNN is nothing like the British media. My Canadian friends, I use the phrase media party, the media party, because it's like a political party. You've seen nothing until you've seen the British. Can we play some of that BBC clip? Now, I don't know which BBC interview I did. Some of them were awful. Some of them were great. Some of them I was literally swearing at the BBC. I don't know which one this is. So you say you found a BBC clip. I'm rolling the dice here because I don't know what clip you have. Let's play that just for a minute here in the United Kingdom who were ignored by the establishment. Um, Daniel Pipes of the Middle East Forum has a phrase, he calls it the 5P professionals. The press, the politicians, the police, the prosecutors, the professors. Just by chance they all start with P and these 5P professionals have ignored the will of the people on the issues of Islam, open borders, globalism, Muslim rape gangs. And so Tommy has filled the void where, for example, in Rotherham, there was a terrible cover-up for years about these rape gangs. That's, the, I think, the main thing that motivates Tommy. And the media won't report it. And when Tommy, it's one of Tommy's main issues. And instead of um, the elites um, accepting Tommy's coverage and activism on these issues, they have pun uh, punished him. They have showed tremendous bias against him. And that's one of the lessons from the Court of Appeal ruling yesterday. Can I pick you up on just a, a couple of things? Sure, yeah. If I may. Uh, mm -hmm. this, this very phrase, Muslim rape gangs, mm -hmm. I mean, in 2011... He said every, this was in reference to Islamist atrocities. Every single Muslim watching this, we got away with killing and maiming British citizens. You know, we're coming for you. Now, do you recognize that this is hugely, toxically, terribly offensive to the vast majority of law-abiding, peaceable Muslims in this country? And if he were, I just... Let me finish, if you would. If he were to be more precise, and I've spoken to many Muslims about this, he should be referring to a certain rural background from Pakistan and Kashmir, which has nothing to do with the religion and everything to do with culture. That's, that, that would be more accurate and less offensive. Mm -hmm. 
See, Nikki, I want to point out what you've just done because I don't even know if you're doing it. See, what you did is you immediately cherry-picked a comment Tommy made seven years ago, which you had prepared by your researchers. You were so ready to go. Instead of actually asking me about the news, you went for a seven-year-old comment that, by the way, Tommy had apologized for years ago because you just can't stand for even one day, for even five minutes of one day, to actually get a real answer to your question. I just want because to explore the, the phrase, United Muslim rape gangs. I just, yeah, uh, honestly, see, I just want to explore that phrase because no, it's so no, offensive no, no, to law-abiding people. First of all, speak, to your, speak for yourself, Nikki. Um, for example, Majid Nawaz of the Quilliam Foundation, he's a Muslim person, unlike you, Nikki, and he has spoken very specifically about Tommy. And he uses the phrase Muslim rape gangs because he's not politically correct like you and most of the BBC. And so Majid Nawaz says basically what I've said. He said if, if the rest of the media had done their job, if the police and the rest of the 5P professionals had done their job, Tommy Robinson would not have filled that uh, void. And if, if after Rotherham and Rochdale and all these other rape gangs, if you still are so politically correct, Nikki, that you will not even allow this interview to get going without jumping in with a seven-year-old talking point. But this phrase, Muslim rape gangs, I want to ask you yeah. about that. How offensive it is to law-abiding people in this country. Well, and imprecise yourself, as well. Speak for yourself, Nikki, because you're, a prof you're professionally offended on behalf of Muslims. And that goes to my point. Who is there for the forgotten people? Tommy, and now you have your answer. You have, in, so, in fact, personified the answer to your own question. The reason Tommy Robinson is so popular is because, unlike you, Nikki, he will use the word Muslim rape gang, and he won't start scolding people for protesting the fact of the industrial-scale rape of indigenous British girls. You know what? I'm, I'm sorry I played so much of that, but it was a reminder and that was I was that was very sleepy. I had been up all night, and then I had this early morning interview, or felt early morning. I was jet lagged, so forgive me for my sleepy voice. But um, do you see what? Do you see my point? You're probably thinking, why did you play that clip? I played that clip because Tommy Robinson had just won the greatest legal victory in contempt of court in 70 years, absolute repudiation of the establishment, the 5P professionals that I described there, absolutely tearing to ribbons his treatment at the hands of the state, absolutely vindicating everything in this book, Enemy of the State. And I'm on the BBC with a guy I've never talked to before, Nicky. I sure used his name a lot there. And what does Nicky want to say? Um, excuse me, Ezra, on the internet, I, I'm, I'm doing an, an accent, on the internet, um, I see that in 2011, uh, Tommy said something mean. So I want to talk about that instead of the greatest legal uh, development of 2018. Do you see my point about the media stitch-up? Do you see my point? And I did three BBC interviews that day, and they were all worse than the next. And Sky News and Channel 4 and The Guardian and The Independent and even The Times and The Telegraph. And for some bizarre reason, uh, papers allegedly on the right and papers allegedly for the working man. They were all, not one of them, talked about the substance of the case. That's why earlier I said, go read the case for yourself. 
Because you think Nikki there is going to tell you about the case? Well, you see, Ezra, in 2011, uh, Tommy had an unpaid parking ticket, and he hasn't returned a library book. So what are we going to do about this hearing on March 22nd? That's when Tommy's new contempt of court hearing is tentatively scheduled. Now, I spoke with Tommy's lawyer, and there's a chance that that may be moved. But we have to assume it's proceeding on March 22. It's two weeks from today. Well, I talked to Tommy, and I got on the phone. I don't know if you're good to go to realreporters.uk. So we just set up this website. So look at the people there. There's Tommy on the left. Then that guy next to him, that's me. And then that guy next to him, that's Andrew Lawton. He's a Canadian reporter. Uh, he came to cover talk. Then who's that guy with the beard? That's Count Dankula. I just talked to him this morning. He said he'll try and make it. Uh, I said, well, crowdfund your, your, your ticket. He said, that sounds great, mate. He's amazing. Next to him is Cassandra Fairbanks. She's from Washington, D.C. She's with Gateway Pundit. She came last time. If it goes on the 22nd, she'll be there. Who's next to her? Will Chamberlain. He's a lawyer by profession. He's also in Washington, D.C. He's the new publisher of Human Events, uh, a magazine with uh, decades of history. He's a lawyer, and the reason that's important is he can help tell this story properly. And you know why I'm, I'm, I really want to bring these Americans, and there's two other people that I haven't confirmed yet, I haven't put on the picture. I want Americans to talk about this because I want to internationalize this story because I think that Tommy's a political prisoner and we need moral pressure. I think Donald Trump, it's possible if we have enough Americans writing about this, maybe Donald Trump's going to tweet about it one day. And then who are those three lads at the end there? Ian, Jordan, and Daryl. They're from Manchester, so they're not actually from away. I met them when I was up there for Tommy's Panadrama thing. They're with a website called Politicalite, and I call them citizen journalists. They're young guys, so just a little website, Politicalite. You want to put Politicalite up just for a second? So it's this website based in Manchester. It's the only pro-Tommy media I can find in the United Kingdom. So I met with them. I said, who are you guys? And so we had a good chat. And I said, well, can you guys, you're only, there we go, here's the website, back in court. You see, they're the only pro-Tommy people. So I said, lads, can I send you a train ticket? Can you come on down? So go back to realreporters.uk. So what we're doing, so what does this mean, real reporters? Well, you heard me, put real reporters back up, please. So you heard me going toe-to-toe with Nikki of the BBC. You can't trust them. So what am I doing? Me, Andrew, Count Dankula, Cassandra, Will, Ian, Jordan, Daryl. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And I'm talking to two other journalists right now, and they're not confirmed yet. But there could be 10 of us. Now, three of the lads, as you can see, are coming from Manchester. But the rest are coming from Canada, the United States, or Australia. I'm talking to Avi. I think we'll... We just got to work on the dates with him. Why? Why are we doing this? Well, I told you why. I showed you why. You know why. I don't have to tell you why. It's because Tommy Robinson cannot get a fair shake in the court of public opinion from the existing media party in the United Kingdom. I was there. I seen it with my own. I was in court four, five, six times for Tommy. I don't remember how many times. It was a. It was as if I was sitting in a different room than those than those other reporters because. Because what they reported bore no resemblance to the truth of what happened in there. And so I said, 
Tommy, you crowdfund the legals. I'll crowdfund the reporters. You take care of the court of law. I mean, I'll help him if he needs any help, but he's got good lawyers. We'll handle the court of public opinion. Because don't you think the court of public opinion is just as important these days? That's why they kicked him on off Facebook. That's why they kicked him off Instagram. That's why they kicked him off Twitter. That's why they kicked him off PayPal. They're trying to cut off his tentacles. Like a starfish trying to cut off his arms. They know how important that is. They haven't been able to tag him in court on this stuff. Well, they did, but we got him out. So if you want to help us bring these reporters, here's the deal. Economy class airfare, hotel, three star, nothing more than that, taxi fare, and reasonable expenses for food. So we're flying people in from Washington, from Toronto, maybe from Melbourne, economy class. We have eight to 10 people. We're bringing the, the lads down by train. That's going to cost between ten dollars and $15,000. And the rule is everyone has to be economical. So if you want to help, please do go to realreporters.uk. Okay, I'm going to do my best to whip through the super chats. Do I have them in, in an email format? Okay. Okay. Um, I'm going to do my best to get through the super chats here uh, because I really appreciate that. Uh, I hope you can understand why I just uh, chose to go on this subject because um, Justin, I got to find your email here. It came from you, I take it? Sorry, folks, I, in, oh, it's from Alex, okay. Uh, so, sorry, folks, give me one second. Um, Alex in our control room just emailed me all the super chats because he knew I was not doing them. I'll have them here in one second. I just got to find his uh, email. Okay, here's my goal, get through the super chats. I have uh, 100,000 unopened emails, so you can understand why it's going so slowly. Here we go. Thank you for your patience. Gabriel Swift, hi, Ezra. Will you be attending on the 22nd? Yes, is the answer. Although there's a chance that date might be moved. That's how it was last time. Dates were moved around. But whenever it's on, I will be there. James Brain, could Tommy seek political asylum in the US? Yes, he could, but he won't. Why should he leave England? Why should he leave the, leave the UK? Would you leave your home or would you fight to save it? Tommy could leave any time. There's no restriction on Tommy leaving the United Kingdom. He, he leaves all the day. He can't go to America for reasons I won't get into now. Oh, that could be fixed. But he doesn't want to leave. Why should he leave his country? Because there's an abuse of uh, political corruption. Wild Oats, is this Raybould's play for the PM job? You're talking about the Canadian Attorney General, former Attorney General, Jody Wilson-Raybould. Could be, but I, I, don't, I don't think so. Proud Boys Calgary, this is how they rule you. Yeah, ain't that the truth. Ain't that the truth, but Tommy's fighting back. Look at all the people that were there at the Old Bailey. Don't think they won't be there next time at the Royal Courts of Justice. Veritas Vincit, it's time to kick the globalists as they are scared of the free thinkers people talking. Yeah, I think you're right. Ole Larson, Sir Yaxalot. <laughs> That's a good one. Mark Britton, can a legal case be made against the British police and judiciary for all the illegal actions and practices carried out in May last year? Use the appeal findings against them. No. Uh, maybe, maybe against the police for false arrest, but um, I think simply be, a judge being wrong is not a judge committing a crime or offense, right? Because otherwise, any judge who's overturned on appeal would be a 
criminal. So simply being wrong is not enough. But I deeply believe that Tommy's treatment in prison, in prison was illegal. It was not contemplated by the law, and it was outside of their own rules. Starving a man, keeping him in a cage for 10 weeks, I believe Tommy does have a cause of action against the prison authorities. Um, this show's too short, hour and a half, Ezra. Well, maybe we'll go a few minutes long because it's 12.59 and I'm not even done this. Can you send me, Alex, can you send me uh, the more? So I'm gonna go, I'll go, I'll go 10 minutes long. Okay, we'll go 10 minutes long. I do have a few other things I've gotta do. Um, and I'm sorry I had like a 50 minute opening ramble there. So we'll go 10 minutes long. Um, Steve, Ben, Bob, Teresa May is demonic. Well, I don't know if I need that adjective because I know she's a lot of other things. I know that she is weak. She's selling out on Brexit. And she has not grappled with the essential issues that, as I said to Nikki of the BBC, have been ignored. Have been ignored. Majid Nawaz, who's sort of a frenemy of Tommy's, he's the head of the Quilliam Foundation, he said, can you find the Majid Nawaz on LBC where he says Tommy Robinson has filled the void? You're going to have to look a little bit for that one. We'll play it if we can find it. He said, if the British media had done their proper job and covered these stories without being so politically correct, Tommy Robinson would not have been able to fill the void because there wouldn't have been a void. That's another way of saying if everyone else, like Nikki at the BBC, would stop, well, how dare you say rape gangs? Well, because they're gangs of men who are raping young indigenous British girls as young as 11. That's why we say rape gangs, Nikki. Well, that, do you know how offensive that is? Nikki, can you just stop blocking the news for a minute and start reporting the news? And as Majid Nawaz says, if anyone had actually done that, there would be no demand for Tommy Robinson. And I can assure you, Tommy Robinson would do other things with his time. DSSA, get based Amy there, she's legit awesome. I meet her at all the events, she shows up at all of Tommy's events, so I've met her about five times. I haven't had a deep substantive conversation with her, but she's always there. Ben Tomlinson, Ezra's sarcasm is on point today. What sarcasm? Kristen Carlson, I wish I could give more, thank you so much Ezra. Well, that's nice of you to say. What I'm trying to do, like, I, maybe I went a little bit crazy with the invitation. Can we put real reporters back up for a second? Maybe I went a little bit crazy because that's a lot of plane tickets we're on the hook for. Um, now, the three lads on the right, those are just train tickets from Manchester. I took a train up to Manchester. I can't remember. They're not, they're not that expensive, obviously, especially if you book in advance. Uh, we'll still probably have to get them a hotel room, those three lads. Um, the two in the middle there coming from D.C., and I'm talking to someone else from D.C., there's going to be an expense there to get them from Washington to London. We'll probably have to bring him in the day before, give him a hotel and the hotel the night of. So we're probably looking at two hotel rooms for two nights. Count Dankula, um, I don't know if you fly or if you drive or you take a train. Probably he'll fly in from Edinburgh. I'm not sure. Andrew Lawton coming from London, Ontario. That's definitely a flight. He's got to fly from London to Toronto, then Toronto to London, the other London. So, and I'm coming from Toronto too, so that's one, two, three, four, five flights, three trains, um, eight hotel rooms for two nights. That's 10,000 bucks easy. That's probably 15,000 bucks. Um, I mean, unless we can get a good airfare. And there's two other people I'm talking to. So I, I have said to Tommy, I'll take care of this side. You take care of the law side. You, you spend time with your lawyers, and we're gonna do this. 
So <laughs> help me out, folks. <laughs> help me out, Keegan. Take that down. Help me out. I, I just made a bunch of promises. Uh, and I'm, so I'm getting their airfare and their plane fare and their hotel and their taxi and their parking back in Canada or U.S. or wherever. Oh, and there's Avi Yamini. If he says yes, he's got to figure something out. That's a flight from Melbourne. And then I said to these folks, I said, look, I don't want you to be out of pocket. So reasonable incidentals, like a, a reasonably priced lunch and breakfast or something. I'm not... I'm not saying you got to come here and lose a thousand dollars to cover Tommy. We'll keep you whole, but we won't make you any money. So I think we need probably ten dollars to $15,000. If you can help me, please do. Go to realreporters.uk. I think it's going to make all the difference in the world because that, that interview with Nikki of the BBC, that's how bad it is, but you know that. All right, have I missed any super chats? S. Mahmoud, Mr. Levan, I'm a big fan. Thank you for everything you do. I think Tarek Fratta would be an amazing addition to the Rebel cast. Your thoughts? I like Tarek a lot. I've had him on the show um, occasionally. Sometimes he travels a lot, so he's hard to pin down. Uh, he's welcome anytime. And I know he had a very successful show in India called Fata Ka Fatwa. And, or maybe I got that reversed. He's great. Tez TR, Tommy needs Lord Pearson to help. You betcha, and I had a great honor of spending some time with Lord Pearson, and he actually gave me a tour of the buildings, the, the Westminster Palace, as it's called, which was memorable for a lifetime. And I only wish that I was there with my family to have had such an amazing tour. He is the only Lord, whether 800 or 600 Lords, the only parliamentarian in either the House of Commons or the House of Lords who will stand with Tommy. That's that's a rare man. Yeah, I agree with you. RCW, what about Tim Pool? Yes, Tim Pool, absolutely. And I uh, actually don't have a contact info for him, but I'm sure it's not hard to find. I think he should come. Yeah, absolutely. He's be perfect for this. Thank you for the suggestion. Pablo Insano, join UKIP, people. It helps. Yeah, Tommy Robinson is a member of UKIP, and I should say that I see Gerard Batten, the leader at UKIP, at many Tommy events. All right, it's 105. Oh, uh, which, which clip are you referring to? Oh, we got the Majid clip. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Uh, we, media, the establishment, society, the chattering classes, the liberal elite, whatever term you want to use, have ignored the issue of grooming gangs, of young, vulnerable teenage girls who have been uh, victimized, drugged, and raped and abused. Whether it's the Rotherham case or all the other cases that were replicated across the country, uh, it is both the conclusion of the prosecutor uh, in the Rotherham case, British Pakistani Muslim Nazir Afzal, or indeed the official inquiry into why it took so long for these young, vulnerable, underage girls uh, to get justice. Uh, both of those concluded that fears of racism prevented us from coming to the defence of vulnerable, underage girls. Fears of racism meaning... Uh, that the state was scared that it would be accused of being racist if it rightly arrested and prosecuted British Pakistani, largely British Pakistani Muslim men, uh, in their abuse of underage white teenage girls. And so from fear of appearing racist, there was a silence across the country as multiple cases of grooming gangs emerged up and down the country, as evidence now due to multiple uh, uh, prosecutions, successful prosecutions, but sadly and unfortunately too late. If we hadn't all been silent, 
If we had all addressed this issue head on when it needed to be addressed, when it was time to address it, then the void would not have emerged for the populist agitators to fill that gap and become popular, actually, as a result of addressing what is a legitimate issue. They ended up hijacking what should have been the concern of every right-minded citizen in this country. And unfortunately, it takes a bit of courage to address something uh, that people will hurl abuse at you for talking about. I know on this show, on, this, on my own show on the weekends, um, I've tried to book uh, certain MPs to come on and address the issue of grooming gangs. And on multiple times, they've had to back away from fear of the backlash. We recall Sarah Champion, who in the Labour Party attempted to address this. Great clip. Uh, we don't have time to play more of it. I would, I would differ only very slightly in nuance. Tommy didn't hijack this issue. Hijack implies he took it over from someone else. When you hijack a plane, you kick out the pilot and you grab the controls. There was no one doing this. You don't hijack a void. There was no one talking about it. And even Majid Nawaz obviously has the Teflon of being a Muslim man himself. I think he might even be of Pakistani background. Um, the prosecutor in Rotherham, as you heard there, himself was a Pakistani prosecutor because those are the only people who won't be shouted down as racist. You're racist. Well, you can't call Majid Nawaz a racist. And you can't call, I forget the name, I don't want to guess, the name of the prosecutor in Rotherham. You can't call him a racist. You can call Tommy Robinson a racist. He don't care. You can arrest him on the street for breach of the peace. That's a false arrest, by the way. So maybe there is a charge against him. All right, folks, it's 109. I've gone on a little long. Let me just thank, say thank you to a few uh, other Super Chat uh, contributors. Private Percy, thank you. Jet Grant says, good on you, Ezra. All right, well, we'll see you over the UK. Funky Monkey says, Ninth Circle answers the cover-up questions. Um, all right, so it's, uh, it's 110 here in Toronto. It's 610 out there in Luton. Um, let me conclude with what's going on. So let me just sum it all up if you're still watching. Tommy Robinson has been notified by the Attorney General in a political decision that surely was approved by Theresa May herself that he will indeed have to answer for contempt of court again for what he did outside the Leeds Court in May of 2018, despite having already served 10 months in solitary confinement. That's the shocking news. A court date has been set of March 22nd. That's exactly two weeks from today. There is a chance that date will move. That's how things go. Uh, last year, things moved around probably about half the time. Nonetheless, we are planning to bring the eight reporters you saw there the, on the realreporters.uk page. We're going to either bring them on the 22nd or if that date changes, we'll be there. If it changes, we might change the personnel because some people might be able to come, some people might not be able to come. I will be there no matter what. I will be there no matter what. And I think some of the friends there will be because it's so important to them. Tommy's doing his own crowdfunding for the lawyers. We're doing the crowdfunding for the journalists. We're splitting it up that way. I talked to him about it on the phone. I said, I'll tell people to go to your site to pay for the lawyers, and we'll handle the real reporters here. I said, you focus on the lawyers, you talk to the lawyers, you deal with the lawyers. That's what's going on. I'm sort of shocked that they're taking another run at him. 
I think it's politically stupid. You saw those huge demos on the streets. I think it's legally stupid. No other journalist has been sentenced to prison since the 1940s for contempt in the UK. Tommy is already excessively punished. It's legally inappropriate to try and punish him anymore. This is, he's literally becoming a political prisoner. I think Tommy will win. I hope so. I have to say he's won so far, even though I've had a bit of a paranoia about the judges. Would you acknowledge that the Court of Appeal, led by the Lord Chief Justice himself, and then the Old Bailey, led by the Recorder of London himself, have actually done the right thing? So maybe, maybe Tommy will win again. I'll keep you posted. I'll try not to overdo this subject. I'll try not to over-email you. But if there is news, I'll let you know. If the date changes, I'll let you know. If there's a development, I'll let you know. You'll probably learn from Tommy before you learn it from me, because I get my news from Tommy on this. All right. It's 112. Thank you for joining in today. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at the Rebel.media, goodbye, and keep fighting for freedom.